Once again, we'll be looking at the gospel according to Luke, continuing in Luke chapter 12. This morning, we'll be looking at Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. Luke 12, 22 to 34. And he said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the word of God. May he write its eternal truths upon our hearts this morning for his glory and for our good. Please be seated. And let's pray again together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for who you are. Lord, for all of your attributes are for us in Christ. We praise you, Lord, for who you are in and of yourself. And we praise you, Lord, for who you are for us in Christ. And Lord, we praise you that you are our faithful Heavenly Father. Lord, there are many things in this world that can cause concern. Lord, and if we knew the reality of the frailness, the frailty of our lives, Lord, In the natural sense, we could be even more concerned. We could be terrified. If we knew just how powerful and how seductive the world is and how wily an adversary the devil is and how complicit our flesh is. Lord, we could have reason to be terrified. 
And we would be terrified if not for the fact that you are God and that you are for us in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that and not just accept this as as an abstract doctrine, but a truth that we embrace in our hearts for your glory and for our good. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. After warning the man who wanted a share in the inheritance and the attendant crowd about treasuring earthly possessions, Jesus now moves on to teach his disciples about trusting God. He's telling them that they must make wise investments, that they must make eternal investments. Now the crowds are still there, but Jesus' focus is on the disciples. Jesus is encouraging them, and in so doing, he's warning them against anxiety. Five times in this passage, he tells them and us not to be anxious or worried or fearful. Anxiety is a paralyzing problem. Anxiety is like an exercise bike. You you pedal and you pedal and you feel like you're going somewhere, but you're just spinning your wheels. But unlike the exercise bike, which would provide exercise if it wasn't just sitting in the corner collecting dust, for many of us, anxiety is a well-used piece of equipment. And anxiety does not help you with your health. It robs you of your health. And as we'll see this morning, it robs you of of much, much more than that. Now this week I have had occasion to worry. No, I'm not speaking of anything to do with COVID or the response to COVID, though that, that temptation is there too. Just last Sunday, as you know, I preached about investing in heavenly things from from verses, uh, for the beginning of this chapter, down to verse 21. And this, this, that passage has and, and had me examining my stuff and my relationship with my stuff. And one of those things, part of my stuff, is my aquarium. And if, if you know me at all, you, you know that the ocean and, and its creatures are, are a passion of mine. I've been a, a scuba diver since I was a teenager, and I've had my first marine aquarium around the same time. And some of you know that I'm in the process of upgrading from a, a smaller tank to a, a 60-gallon tank. Now, I know I'm not, not justifying here. I know many men who have 120, 180-gallon aquariums. I have a 60-gallon aquarium, two feet by two feet by two feet. And I've had a lot of help from friends to, to set up and this tank, and it was, was sitting there cycling. If you know anything about aquariums, it's cycling. It was just about ready to, to put my fish into it. Until Wednesday. I was in my study. I was actually in the middle of writing an email when I got a, a call from Jane. And she's like, John, your aquarium is leaking water everywhere. So I booked it down the stairs, and Karen was probably wondering what was going on when I flew by so fast, and came into the living room to see water pouring 
out of my aquarium, salt water pouring out of my aquarium. And thankfully, Jane had had the, she was quick thinking, so and Owen, had, she had heard, heard the sound earlier and thought it was the kids playing with a white noise machine, but no, it was, it was actually a waterfall in our living room. And she thought to get buckets and was able to catch half the water, roughly half the water, about 30 gallons, which means the rest of the 30 gallons was all over our living room floor from wall to wall and pouring down inside the walls and, and puddling on the floor in the basement. And I, I rushed over, standing in water, foolish thing, and went to unplug some cords on the other side of the room and got myself an electric shock. Thankfully, it, it, it wasn't, it could have been a lot more serious. Then we grabbed every towel in the house and mops and, and we of course turned off the breaker, um, got, got everything and started to clean up the salt water. Well, of course, this had me thinking. It's natural. It had me thinking, well, is this the Lord's way of telling me to give up my hobby? Now, I'm not sure about that. I'll let you know where that leads. But it certainly has me reevaluating my priorities in that area and several others as well. I did not expect anything like that to happen. I did not expect, I got lots of phone calls through the day. I did not expect anything like that. But now it's in the back of my mind. What if it happens again? If you know anything about salt water, it's salt, water's bad enough, but salt water is extremely corrosive. If it had got into the, into the, the wiring, who knows how much damage it could have done. It, it, it could have been a horrific problem. Just imagine if we, if we weren't home. These things are now running around in the back of my head. Remember I said that once you have stuff, then you're thinking about protecting your stuff. So here I am concerned about my stuff wrecking other parts of my stuff very much a first world problem. But for Jesus and his disciples, and many throughout church history, the conscious need for daily bread was a real challenge. Daily challenge, present challenge. And only a few in our church have ever experienced anything like need in that regard. Nonetheless, I don't believe that it would be an exaggeration to say that all of us at one time or another has faced anxiety. Anxiety is not the sole possession of those who have pressing needs. It is also the possession of those who have, have pressing personal wants. So anxiety doesn't just come from, from personal needs. It also comes from personal wants. Matthew Henry wrote it. It's not poverty but discontentment that makes a man unhappy. People lack contentment about the things they want. People lack contentment about the things that they have. As I explained last week, once you, you get stuff, again, like with my aquarium, you become anxious about protecting it, keeping it from getting lost or stolen or broken. But the stuff isn't the ultimate problem. It's the anxiety. It's the anxiety that, that your stuff often breeds that prevents you from having a kingdom focus. When your mind is filled with anxious thoughts about stuff or anything else, it keeps you from thinking about the things that you should be thinking about. The glory of God's name. The advance of his kingdom. So then what's the solution to anxiety? 
the solution to anxiety is focusing on God and focusing on his kingdom. Focusing on who God is and who God is for you. Focusing on the kingdom of the God and the blessings that that means will help you to overcome anxiety. But our goal here, listen carefully, our goal is not to overcome anxiety as an end unto itself. Our goal in overcoming anxiety is so that it will free us to be able to glorify God and to seek the advance of his kingdom. Yes, entertaining anxiety is sinful. It is a sinful response to God. But it prevents you from being able to, to love and worship and serve God. It robs God of the glory that he deserves. So do you want to be set free from anxiety to freely worship and serve God? Then seek God and seek his kingdom. This text will see four main sections. In verses 22 to 23, we're told, seek life. And in verses 24 to 28, to trust God who gives life. And then verses 29 to 31, seek the kingdom. And verses 32 to 34, to trust God who gives you the kingdom. So you see what's happening there. We're, we're told to do something and we're told to go to, go to God, to trust God for these things. So first of all, verses 22 and 23, seek life. Again, with this passage, Jesus turns from the crowd to focus on his disciples, to teach his disciples. And you can really see that he's following the, the same train of thought that we, that we saw in verses 13 to 21. Having issued his warning to the crowds against treasuring earthly possessions, he's now encouraging his disciples to invest wisely. He's helping them to overcome anxiety by pointing them to God. Again, the crowds are still there, but the focus is on the disciples. He's telling them not to be anxious. He's telling them how to not be anxious. He says, don't focus on your life. What you will eat or your body or your clothes. Now, now these things are a representative of physical things. Now, it's true that, that food and clothing are needs. You, you need to eat for sustenance. You need clothing for modesty and, and for protection from the elements. Do you need that much food? How many pairs of shoes do you have? Again, these things are temporary. This life is temporary. Now, it's not that you, you can't make provision and, and preparation for these things, but, but Jesus is saying, don't worry about them. Don't worry about them. Don't be anxious about these things. You see, anxiety is an attempt to control a situation. It's though by turning over the issue again and again and again in your mind and, and heart, it's as though, though you feel like you can solve it. Has your anxiety ever solved a problem for you? Ever? No. Anxiety does not solve anything. In fact, it makes problems seem worse, and it often, in the result, it makes problems worse. As I said, because ultimately it robs God of his glory. It's due his name. Overcome anxiety. 
overcome anxiety not by seeking comfort. Oh, sorry, overcome anxiety by not seeking comfort and by not setting your hope on the things of this life. Again, some people are anxious about having enough food to get them through the day or enough clothing to keep them warm. But in our culture, it's more often anxiety about having more food and more clothing and more stuff. Now we're living in a turbulent world and, and people, many people find comfort in stuff. Like the alcoholic finds comfort in the bottle. The shopaholic finds comfort in acquiring possessions. The people spending less and less time out and about, about in, the, in the stores, they're spending more time shopping from home. It makes it easy just to, to make a purchase with a click of a mouse. It's like shopping porn. You can have packages you don't need coming to your house every day. Verse 23, Jesus presents a proverb. He says, your life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Your life is bigger than what you put in your mouth and what you put on your body. Your life is bigger than your stuff. As F.W. Danker said, living is more than having. Don't be self-focused. Life is more than these things. Again, from Matthew Henry in his excellent little book, Meekness and Quietness. He says, thus a quiet soul, if provoked by the denial or loss, or I would say, or I would add prospective loss of some earthly comfort or delight, quiets itself and does not fret about it, nor perplex itself with anxious cares how to live without it, but composes itself to make the best of that which is. So the quiet spirit humbles itself before Almighty God and is quiet before Almighty God. So what is the more that, that Jesus is speaking of here? What does Jesus mean when he says your life is, is more than, than food and clothing? Well, that's going to be evident soon enough. Verses 24 to 28. Trust God who gives life. Trust God who gives life. Now Jesus gives three examples from nature, each time arguing from the lesser to the greater to show that if God cares for these smaller things, how much more will he care for you? Remember, Jesus did the same thing back in verses 6 and 7 when he, he said that, that even the, the sparrows and the hairs of your head are under God's sovereign providential care. Remember, that doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to be easy. Remember, those sparrows that were sold in the marketplace aren't pets. They might be dinner. And those hairs on your head, well, they might fall out. But God still superintends the whole thing. Again, Jesus starts with the birds, this time ravens. Consider the ravens. Now, unlike sparrows, ravens were considered unclean. Ravens conjure up in our minds darkness and foreboding, like Edgar Allan Poe, Poe's poem, The Raven. Where the bird appears at his door, repeating only the word nevermore. Poe writes, then upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to thinking. 
fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. It's a haunting poem. Ravens neither sow nor reap. They neither have storehouse nor barn. Yet God feeds them. If God will take care of, of even this maligned animal, how much more will he care for you? You can be as careless as a crow. But don't press this too far. This is not an, an encouragement or an endorsement of laziness. Ravens are adaptable and, and opportunistic feeders. They'll, they'll eat anything from carrion and to small animals, other birds, their eggs, insects, nuts, seeds, fruit, berries, even garbage. Now their diet might not be appetizing to us, but God provides for them. And if God will feed them, then surely he will feed you. So then Jesus asked the question, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single span to his hour, sorry, to his span of life. This could also be translated, which of you by being anxious could add a single cubit to his stature, to his stature. Though I can't imagine any, anyone wanting to be a, a foot and a half taller. But the principle is the same, whether you're vertically challenged or chronologically challenged. You can't do anything about even such small things. Jesus wasn't intending a pun here. Don't sweat the small stuff. Big stuff, small stuff, trust God. God is sovereign and you are not. You're in God's hands. Your times are in God's hands. Psalm 31, 15. Your life is in God's hands. Everything about you is in God's hand. Now Jesus speaks of of flowers, of, of lilies. Now, now, they don't work at all. They just sit there on the, in the ground soaking up whatever whatever moisture and, and sunshine God provides. Now, I love spring. Spring is, is just around the corner and, and, and soon our gardens will be in, in full bloom, filled with vibrant colors. Jesus says that, that even Solomon in his glory, Solomon's royal robes don't compare to the flowers. I think Jesus is continuing the same example when he says, if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? These beautiful flowers are merely grass that's going to get burned. And if God's providential care extends even to mere grass, how much more will he clothe you? Jesus is saying to his disciples and, and to, to us, his disciples, look around. Look around. Evidence of God's providential care is all around you. Brothers and sisters, look around. Look for examples of God's providential care. And as you see everything around you beginning to wake up from winter, remember, this is not just a natural process. This is not just Mother Nature. This is God the Father caring for His creation. This is God the Son upholding the universe by His word of power. Hebrews 1.3 Then here at the end of verse 28, Jesus adds a rebuke. 
Oh, you of little faith. His disciples have little faith. We've seen this repeatedly. He said the same thing to them in the boat in, in Matthew 8.26 when he calmed the storm. Oh, you of little faith. How easily they forget. How easily we forget. They and we have so often little faith, but, but thankfully not no faith. Little faith might be a little bit. It is infinitely better than no faith. May we be like the churches in Asia Minor during Paul's second missionary journey. The churches, as the churches were strengthened in faith, Acts 16.5. May, may we be like the church in Thessalonica, whose faith is growing abundantly, 2 Thessalonians 1.3. Anxiety doesn't help you. It doesn't help you, quite the opposite. It, it gives you a feeling of being in control, but all it does is show you that you are out of control. It gives you the illusion of action, but it just renders you inactive. You sit there thinking and thinking and thinking and not doing anything. Mystery writer Arthur Summers Roche wrote, Anxiety is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Do you hear what he's saying here? He's saying that if you allow anxiety to take root in your mind, it will consume your thinking. It will consume your life. You'll be rendered unable to think about spiritual things because you are drowning in anxiety. Brothers and sisters, when you detect anxiety, when you detect a thought leak, you need to divert your stream of thought. Divert the stream before it becomes like hell's gate, the deep cavern carved in the turbulent waters of the Fraser River at Boston Bar. Feelings of anxiety, they're like, like flashing red lights on your dashboard. They're, they're a warning. They're, they're telling you that there's a problem. Pull over and seek help. Pray. Seek help from God. When you, when those glimpses went, and some of us become become so accustomed to entertaining and and feeding anxious thoughts that that before we know it, there is a chasm in our thinking. But by God's grace, through the help of the Holy Spirit, get out a shovel and start digging. Go in the other direction. As Jesus taught his disciples to, to pray this in the model prayer at the outset of his ministry in, in Matthew 6 and, the, and here in this the final phase of his ministry in, in Luke 11. Jesus is showing the right perspective. Anxiety is forgetting who God is. Anxiety is, is forgetting who God is for you. Commit your needs and, and commit the needs of your loved ones to God. If God will care for your basic material needs, you can trust Him for your spiritual needs. You can trust Him for everything. And now we're beginning to see what the more is. We're beginning to see what Jesus meant when He said in verse 23 that your life is more than food and clothing. Verses 29 to 31. Seek 
kingdom. Verse 29. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. Don't seek after food and drink. Don't set your mind on these things. Commit your needs to God and leave it to Him. Again, Jesus is not here giving you license to be lazy. If a man is not willing to work, let him not eat. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 And if anyone does not provide for the needs of his family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. 1 Timothy 5.8 Jesus is saying you don't be consumed with thoughts about these things. Don't be worried about them. Now, the, the word that is translated worry here is only used in this place in the Bible. But from other Greek literature, it's clear that the word means, means raise on high, to exalt. So Jesus is saying, don't raise these things and thoughts about them on high. Don't exalt them. Don't place too high of a value on them. Don't get worked up about them. He says that the nations of the world are focused on these things. The heathen, unbelievers, are unconsumed with their physical lives because this life is all that they have. Don't be like an unbeliever in your attitude and anxiety. Your father knows. Your father knows that you need these things. Your father knows that you need these things. But unbelievers don't know the Father. God is not their Father, but God is your Father. Again, this is reflected in the model prayer. God is your Father in heaven. Your God the Father cares for you. God, your Father, cares for you. Just stop and think about it. God, your Father, cares for you. Jerry Bridges talks a lot about, his, about this in his book, Trusting God. The church, this book is, is required reading. I, you know, I recommend a lot of books, but I don't often say it like this. You need to read this book. Let me give you this quote. It's a little bit lengthy. He says, our first priority in times of adversity is to honor and glorify God by trusting Him. We tend to make our first priority the gaining of relief from our feelings of heartache and disappointment or frustration. This is a natural desire, and God has promised to give us grace sufficient for our trials and peace for our anxieties. But just as God's will is to take precedence over our will, as Jesus Himself said, not as I will, but as you will, so God's honor is to take precedence over our feelings. We honor God by choosing to trust Him when we don't, when we don't understand what He's doing or why He's allowed some adverse circumstance to occur. As we seek God's glory, we may be sure that He has, pur- has purposed our good and they will not be further frust- we will not be frustrated in fulfilling that purpose. So do you see what He's saying here? He's saying far more important, far more important than getting out of whatever trial it is that you're experiencing is seeking ultimately God's glory. And in so doing, you will see how God's good for us is accomplished as well. This has been a huge comfort to me over the past year. 
in the face of, of the COVID situation that we're facing. I constantly have to preach to myself, God, may you be glorified in this situation. I trust that you will somehow work us out. For our good as well. God is sovereign over these circumstances. God is sovereign over everything. Again, from Jerry Bridges in Trusting God. It says, in the arena of adversity, the scriptures teach us three essential truths about God. Truths we must believe if we are to trust him and adversity. God is completely sovereign. God is infinite in wisdom. And God is perfect in love. God is sovereign, wise, and loving. And if those three things are true, then you don't need to be anxious about anything, brother Christian, sister Christian. You need to remember who God is. Who God is and who God is for you. One more quote from Bridges. Someone has expressed these three truths as they relate to to us in this way. God in his love always wills what is best for us in his wisdom. He always knows what is best in his sovereignty. He has the power to bring it about. Do not worry about what is happening or what might happen. Or what might not happen. God is sovereign and wise and loving. And God is all of those things for you in Christ. As Ken Sandy tells us, trusting God does not mean believing that he will do what you want, but rather believing that he will do everything he knows is good. Again, it's not just abstractly thinking about who God is. Now, now we need to think about who God is. Theology proper is vitally important. We we need to have a a robust and biblical understanding of who God is. But but it's not just thinking about who God is out there. It's who God is for us, for you, and for me in Christ. The application of theology proper to us, which again redounds to God in His glory. And all of these things are for you. All that God is, He is for you in Christ. Through the gospel. Again, I say this so often, but but if you want to know who God is, look at the cross. Because all of God's attributes are most most powerfully proclaimed in Christ, hanging on that cross. As the Father poured out, pours out His wrath on His Son. For you and for me. We see all of God's holiness and God's justice and God's righteousness, God's wrath and God's hatred for sin as He pours it on His Son. But we also see His love and His mercy, His grace, His forgiveness, His faithfulness. Jesus gives up his life. He dies. Father's wrath poured out on him. In our place. 
And the third day is Jesus rises from the grave. And ascended to the, to the Father's right hand and, and continues to intercede for you and for me at this very moment. Just before the service, I don't know if you, you heard it, but but the, the song Jesus I my the hymn Jesus I my cross have taken was, was being played was being played in this it is it is one of my favorite hymns of all time. Soul then know thy full salvation. Rise over sin and fear and care. Joy to find in every station. Something still to do or bear. Think what spirit dwells within thee. Think what father's smiles are thine. Think that Jesus died to win thee. Child of heaven, canst thou repine? God, your Father, is in heaven. He is above all. He is omniscient. And from his omniscient vantage point, God, your Father, sees every need you have. God, your Father, knows your need better than you know yourself. God, your Father, is omniscient. And his omniscience doesn't just just mean those needs that you have right now, but your future needs. And more and more importantly, not just your physical needs, but your spiritual needs. And God may cause you to feel a physical need in a certain area in order to fill a spiritual need that you were not even aware of. Many of us are not having the needs that, that we feel met under, the, under these, these current circumstances. But again, what is God doing in that? What is God revealing about himself? What is God revealing about himself being for you in the midst of this? And if you can't see it now, ask him to show you. One day you will see it. On that day you'll see it crystal clear, but, but you can even know these things in this life even now. Now again, most of us don't know what it's, it's like to wonder where our next meal is coming from. But for our brothers and sisters around the world, that is a daily reality. They're learning powerful lessons about who God is for them. Now, we aren't likely to experience that, at least not right now. But we do feel real pain. When God withholds something from us, even for a time. I know many couples who have, have long yearn for children. And their pain is very strong. They shed many tears over this. But I've also seen how many of these couples have found comfort in their childlessness by using it as an occasion to glorify God. As they've been able to testify to God's glory and the peace that they have Brought the, that he has brought them in the midst of their pain. And, and in some cases, they have, they have sought adoption as a way to reflect the gospel. In, in others, they have become spiritual parents and grandparents to others in the congregation. And this is part of what Jesus is talking about in verse 31. Whatever circumstance it is that you're facing, whatever pain it is that, that you are facing, Verse 31, 
seek the kingdom and these things will be added to you. Again, Jesus is speaking here, of, uh, uh, generally speaking, of, of everything that you need. Everything that God deems that you need. And again, he might, he will, he will always trump spiritual needs over physical needs. Seek first the God's kingdom. And in Matthew, it's seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Keep on seeking God's kingdom. Set your heart on God's kingdom. Don't set your sights too low. Don't be too easily satisfied. Don't be, don't be content with the meager trappings that this life has to offer. Live for the unparalleled blessings in Christ both now and for eternity. Don't just think about this life. Think about the life to come. Yet again, we're reminded of the model prayer. You can really see why Jesus presents this as a pattern for our daily prayer. Pray, your kingdom come. Pray, your kingdom come. And praying this will help you overcome your concerns about the things of this life. Seek first God's kingdom and all these things, the basics of what you need will be added to you. And so seeking the advance of God's kingdom means, means, means praying for the advance of his kingdom, doesn't it? Back when I, when I preached through the model prayer, I talked about, about this God's kingdom in, in creation and Christians and the church and conversions and the consummation. Well, the first one in creation, well, we don't need to pray for that because God already is ruling over his creation. As, as Abraham Kuyper said, there is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which God, who is Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. So we don't necessarily have to pray for God's rule over creation, but we can thank God for it, can't we? We can thank God for his, his providential rule, his governance, the fact that, that you know that spring is going to come. Because God is sovereign over creation. But we do pray for Christians. So praying for the advance of God's kingdom means praying for Christians. It means praying that, that God would rule over the hearts of, of Christians. Of, that he would rule over your heart, that he would rule over my heart. Praying for the church. Then the visible church, the kingdom of Christ will reign and rule. The churches will, will preach the whole counsel of God's word. They'll be faithful to to proclaim Christ and to live Christ before a watching world. Of course, it means praying for conversions, praying that the, the, the kingdom would be advanced in the hearts of those who are currently unbelievers. That the Spirit would be pleased to grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. They would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And finally, it also means praying for the advance of God's kingdom means praying for the consummation. He's praying, come Lord Jesus. I don't know about you, but I've been praying that a lot more over the past year and over the past several years as I've seen the decay in our society advancing at a, at a shocking rate. Come, Lord Jesus. That's seeking to advance God's kingdom. Pray with, with Adolf Savior. Help us out of our misery. Let thy kingdom come that sin may be driven away that we may be made according to thy pleasure, that thou alone mayst reign over us, and we be thy dominion, obeying thee with all our powers of body and soul. And in praying that, you're 
praying against anxiety in your life. Preach these truths. Pray these truths to yourself and you will find maybe slowly, maybe at first imperceptibly, but you're beginning to divert the leaking thoughts. You're diverting the stream away from anxiety and towards God and His glory. Don't make the mistake of living for anything less than the glory of God and the advance of His kingdom. When you begin to understand who you are and whose kingdom you belong to and what you're here for, life will change. You won't look at anything the same anymore. Food, clothing, family, work, leisure, even traffic. Take on a different perspective for you as you understand who God is, especially in His, his sovereignty and His wisdom and His love, who God is and who God is for you in Christ. Blessed are those who are continually, consciously citizens of heaven, the kingdom of God, who steadfastly seek the kingdom of God, who wholeheartedly love the kingdom of God, who earnestly pray for the kingdom of God, who tirelessly work for the kingdom of God, and who trust God to give the kingdom of God. So then our last point, finally, verses 32 to 34, trust God who gives you the kingdom. Again, Jesus tells his disciples not to be anxious. This time, fear not. Remember from a few weeks ago, we talked about fighting fear with fear. We talked about how fear, the proper fear of God, leads to faith in God. And holy fear of God leads to trusting God wholly. So Jesus says, fear not, little flock. Jesus' disciples are a little flock. There is a small number of true disciples. There is a small number of sheep. That was true then, and that is true now when compared to the, the mass of humanity. There are a small, there's a small number of true sheep. And the fear here may specifically be the, the prospect of persecution. Sheep are essentially helpless creatures. They're pretty much defenseless against wolves and bears and, and lions, etc. And we're pretty much defenseless in the face of persecution too, at least when it comes to worldly defenses. Persecution terrorized the early church. And fighting back using fleshly means will not get you very far. But like those in the early church, we are not utterly defenseless. Yes, left to ourselves, we are utterly defenseless. But by God's grace, we are not left to ourselves. Quite the opposite. Jesus Christ is their good shepherd, and Jesus Christ is our good shepherd. He will fight for us. He has already won the victory. As he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16, 33. Keep calm, Jesus Christ has overcome the world. Now stopping to say the second half of verse 32. The 
it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God gives you the kingdom. God gives you and me the kingdom of God. And this was purchased for us by nothing less again than the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God is, is not God is not a skinflint. God joyfully, gladly, with his full pleasure, it is his full pleasure to give you the kingdom. Brothers and sisters, if you have just a glimpse of God's kingdom that will make you gladly drop whatever it is that is that you are holding on to that is keeping you from wholehearted worship and devotion to God. Brothers and sisters, you have gotten a glimpse of the kingdom of God and you've gotten more than a glimpse of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is unfolded for you in the word of God. We read Revelation 21 last week. We read Revelation 22 this week. It's, but it's all through the Bible. Now, of course, eye has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 2.9 But these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Verse 10 You have gotten a glimpse of the kingdom of God, and more than a glimpse. It's been unfounded, unfolded for you in the scriptures and it's being unfolded for you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus is talking here is not just about the, the future blessings of the kingdom. There are many, many, many kingdom blessings that you can enjoy right now fellowship with Christ and his people, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the knowledge, love, and worship of God. You can enjoy all of these things and many more right now. But you will enjoy them all infinitely in eternity. So earlier Jesus was arguing from the, the lesser to the greater. Now he's arguing from the greater to the lesser. If God will give you his kingdom, you can trust him for anything and everything else, which is really tiny in comparison. So then with that in mind, verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Again, Jesus comes back to discuss earthly versus heavenly treasure. Now, Jesus is not saying here that, that his disciples must take a vow of poverty. That, that is not what he's calling us to. Rather, Jesus is saying that your life must not be ruled by possessions. As we'll see in Luke 14.33, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, renouncing it doesn't, doesn't just mean you, you get rid of it. 
or, or even so you, you sell and give to the poor, it means you, means you give it to God. It means you leave it on the altar. So my aquarium, I, I don't know whether I'm, I'm going to, to get rid of it all. But the events of, of this past week, and, and especially the, the texts of this past week and, and the week before, are causing me to reevaluate my attitude towards it. It's God's. I'm willing to give it up by His grace or anything. Because it doesn't compare to the blessings and the enjoyment of the kingdom of God now and forever. Again, it's not just a matter of, of giving it all up. It's Because, again, it's a, it's a lack of possessions is not an end unto itself. But, but an understanding of, your, of your, your lack of possessions, you don't really own. The stuff that you have, it's really, it's, they're blessings from God. It's a, it's a trust from God to be enjoyed. We need to seek it as an opportunity. The, the stuff that you have gives you an opportunity to love God and others. And if, if you can love God better and, and love others better by selling it and get rid of it then and giving that money to the poor, then great, so do that. Giving to the poor is, is one way that you can lay up treasure in heaven. Because what happens is when you, when you begin to do this, you're, you're exalting a care for others above yourself, which is really the, the second half of the great commandment, that, that you are loving your neighbor as yourself. So in so doing, you're, you're cultivating a love for others, an others focus, but you're also cultivating a God focus. The first half of the command, loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. So you cultivate a God focus and you cultivate an others focus. Now others may not see, others may never see, but God sees and God will reward your efforts. God will reward those sacrifices that you make for the advance of his kingdom and the glory of his name. And in Christ, God will empower your efforts and bless you for them. So then finally, verse 34. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Verse 34 is essentially a restatement of, of what Jesus said back in verse 21 that we looked at last week. A fool lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Trusting in riches makes you poor before God. Because you'll be trusting in your riches instead of trusting in God. Rather, trust in God and his faithfulness towards you in Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Sorry, that's that's 1 Peter 1, 3-5. That treasure that you lay up in heaven is being kept in heaven for you by God. Are your earthly possessions your priority? Do you possess your possessions or do they possess you? Do you know what your treasure is? Do you know where your treasure is? Anxiety comes from a failure to know who God is and a failure to know who God is for you in Christ Jesus. Anxiety comes from bad theology. 
But bad theology doesn't just mean being unbiblical in your understanding. Bad theology, but bad theology also means that you aren't walking out, you aren't thinking out your theology. You know, may know, may know all the right doctrines, but 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 are you believing them and walking in them? Know who God is. Know who God is for you in Christ. Cultivate a God focus and an others focus. Because when you know who God is and who God is for you, you are free to serve Him and to serve others. And all of your needs are met. You know that all of your needs are met. Hebrews 12, 1 and, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with, persever- with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, make the wise investment. Invest in eternity. Invest in, invest in God's glory. Invest in God's kingdom. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For we pray this in the name of God the Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.